Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the Alex Candy Podcast, which is brought to you by BasketballNews.com. This is episode number 38, and we're back to posting two episodes a week, so make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss any of the new episodes. Today, I'm joined by one of my BasketballNews.com colleagues. He does a fantastic job covering the NBA and WNBA. You can follow him on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. Mark, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm good, Alex. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate you doing this. Uh, About a week ago, I had our colleague, Nikias Duncan, on, and we kind of talked about his career path and how he got to start as a sports writer. And it was one of my favorite episodes I've done. It was so much fun kind of hearing about his journey. And then obviously we got into some basketball talk. So I want to bring you on to do the same thing, talk about your career path. And then the second half, we can talk a little bit about the NBA finals and just kind of uh, a little bit about basketball. But I am curious. So how did you get your start in sports writing? Yeah, uh, no, that's a great question. And I, I, I guess I think about it a lot. I uh, I was pretty late to it. I mean, I guess I think the more that I've gotten into it, like most people don't really get in with the intention of sports writing. It just kind of happens. Um, like I, so I grew up, I played like pretty much every sport except for basketball. Basketball was always just like a, a fun thing in the background for me. Um, I'd go to the park and shoot around. Um, you know, I, I was always just kind of a casual fan. Um, I originally went to Michigan State to go work for their football team while I was was working on a degree there too. That wasn't really for me. Um, I ended up, because I was working on uh, what, what would have eventually led to medical school. And I uh, I was there, you know, for about two months doing really intense science courses while also having to miss half of them because I had to go to football practice. Um, so it was, uh, it was not my favorite experience. And I actually ended up getting really invested in boxing when I was there. And um, I didn't get as far as I wanted to, but I had, you know, I, I was doing pretty well. I had some injuries pop up that cut off, you know, any kind of pro career, which is what I was working towards. And, uh, you know, I kind of spent uh, a year and some change just uh, working. Like I, I, I took off time from school. Um, I kind of just really tried to figure out who I was and what I was doing because everything I'd really worked for in life was kind of just, uh, you know, out the door. Um, and I don't know. I, like that was the first time that I really got into watching League Pass all the time, and uh, I'd always had friends tell me growing up, like, "Oh, you should like, you should, you should like, you should be a sports writer." I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like, that's <laughs> dumb. I'd so much rather like be doing sports than than write about them and talk about them. And uh, so it just kind of evolved into that. Um, I ended up going to uh, I ended up going to University of Toledo to go back to school um, and went and got my degree in communications. And I started uh, obviously when I mean, the pandemic kind of hit around the same time too which is when I first started. Cause I originally, um, so I went there with the idea of like getting into doing some kind of sports coverage. Like if my goal was like I'll cover basketball in some capacity. Um, and then it went from like, I had a class that was about starting a, starting a blog, which turned into premium hoops, which is what I used to do. You know, like I was attached. It's already like a year ago since I've done that. Um, but that turned into a podcast after about a month of having just like a random website. Um, and then I just got, I got really into it. Um, and, and here we are now. So there's obviously a lot more. That's kind of the foundation. 
Steph Curry's record-breaking three-pointer, Jason Tatum's buzzer-beating alley-oop, John Morant's poster dunk, NBA Top Shot is where the greatest moments from NBA history are turned into officially licensed digital collectibles. NBA Top Shot has evolved trading cards and made it easier to buy, sell, and collect by removing the hassle of grading, shoeboxes, and shipping fees. You can buy or sell moments in a few clicks and access them at any time on your phone or computer. Your collection is always at your fingertips. Start collecting Top Shot moments in any way you want. Collect rookie moments from future stars like Evan Mobley and Cade Cunningham. Collect throwback moments from former NBA stars like Shaq and Allen Iverson. Or collect moments from your favorite team to gain access to exclusive perks. Grab your starter pack today and Top Shot will give you $20 back to start your collection and pick up some of your favorite moments in the marketplace. Go to about.nbatopshot.com slash bballnews and get in the game today. That's about.nbatopshot.com slash bballnews. How did you decide on covering basketball as opposed to football or boxing or one of the other sports that you were invested in? I couldn't do, I couldn't be around it anymore. Honestly, like it sounds, uh, it sounds corny, but like, it was just, uh, it was kind of painful to be around. I I couldn't go to the gym anymore. Um, Like just the idea of like, I don't know. I was like, just for context, like I was going to the gym, like I was pretty much spending my days there. Like um, I was, I mean, running every morning, uh, you know, um, going to to lift weights right after four or five times a week. And then I was at the gym teaching classes, uh, you know, working out myself, sparring everything, like every single day for like four or five hours a day. So it's like, um, it was really difficult to go f- to make that transition of going from not doing that, you know, I mean, to, to do it, to not doing that after having done that all day, every day for a couple of years was a really big change up. So it just, uh, I was, I still like casually watch boxing. I really enjoy it, but it's just hard to even now, like it can be like frustrating to be around it. Cause it's just, you know, it's something I miss doing. Um, and football, I just got really disillusioned with football because I can't really get into a ton, but I was, uh, when I was at MSU is when a lot of the, uh, you know, shit kind of hit the fan with, Mm. um, all the Larry Nasser case, um, and all that. And you could see some of it bubbling up, uh, which was not great. And was a big reason for why I got out of it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I kind of ended up getting more towards, um, towards basketball and it also like i don't know sports that uh sports that like i don't want to say that they weren't fun for me as a kid but it was more just like uh, i i don't know it, it didn't end up um like for me basketball was just always fun like i'd never had to treat it competitively or um to uh to to act like it was more than that like it wasn't it was never more than that to me it was just just fun and um i think having the perspective that i had in other sports and, and how i went through things really helped me with, with how I view, you know, just athletes in general and, um, and the way that I cover basketball. So I think that, uh, you know, in some ways not having as much of that, that same experience with basketball has really helped me with getting where I'm at. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so then how did you kind of decide to go down more of the X's and O's path? Because like, I love your stuff, Jackson, Frank stuff, Nikai's stuff. You guys are so awesome at like breaking down film. And I can see why with your background, you take a more positive approach and appreciate players' games and things like that. That makes sense. How would you kind of decide on the X's and O's film breakdown path? Yeah, I think it, it's kind of funny because I used to be, when I first started off, I was like a no film person. Like everything was, uh, everything that I did was like very much so stats driven. Like, and I think anybody who talked to me today would be kind of like aghast by that. But yeah, I did a, <laughs> Like everything was all like data driven. And it's not like I didn't watch basketball, but like, you, 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 I mean, like, it's just, especially at the time too, like I have access to, um, to film now that I didn't then, which is, you know, that's part of, you know, just 
a finding finding creative ways to get it. But um, like I think it was just a more accessible way to first start in. You know, like I, when you're when you're just like I mean I didn't I, I know so much more now than I did like two or three years ago. I guess three years ago when I started, and um, that makes a huge difference to me because I went from like yeah I watched it all the time, but I didn't understand it like like I like I do now. And I still like, I, I want to consider myself an expert. I have a lot more that I want to learn and keep learning. Um, but I think, I don't know. I think to me, like I like learning the game and I think I learn more about the game by doing stuff like that. And I think sometimes like I try, I'm trying to work on like using less clips sometimes too, just to make it like, I think like for me, it's fun to like go through and watch like 15 videos, but for some people, not the same. Um, so finding that balance is interesting, but um, you know, I think I learned as much about it while trying to show people, you know, like, this is how I got here. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I think is happening. And, um, so I think that's why I really turned, turned more to that. You attended the sports business classroom. Uh, I know you did that during the pandemic. What was that experience like for you? I mean, I'm a big fan of it. I had, um, Dave Dufour on recently and we talked about, you know, cause he's one of the instructors and I've, I'm going back this year to speak for the third time, actually me, you and Nikias Duncan are going to go talk to the course, which is going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of talk about our different career paths. And um, some of the students I've talked to like one-on-one, even after the fact, and, you know, tried to like help mentor them and things like that. But I think it's the coolest program. What was your experience there? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was great. Um, it was uh, definitely something where I, I still think I would have uh, been able to, to make some strides without it, but it really helped me solidify that I was going to do it. Um because I, I mean, I'd been starting to do stuff with covering the NBA before then. Um, but going there really helped me in getting to know some people. Like I already knew Dave a little bit before I got in and, and meeting Bo Estes, who works there, who, who, who does it as, who runs it as well and works it, you know, for the NBA. Um, like I think just making some more inroads and, and it, it, a lot of it to me was just establishing more confidence that I kind of belonged there and doing it, um, I think is kind of how I look at it. Like just knowing like, oh, wow. Here are all these other like-minded people, or not even necessarily like-minded, but people who are trying to get into similar careers. How are they doing? There are people here who have um, who have already done those careers. Like uh, it's uh, like I'm trying to remember um, who all. Like I know Miran Fader was there, who's an awesome writer, obviously over at the Ringer now. Um, they had a couple of current beat reporters in, and like just getting to hear their stories about how they got to where they're at and how they worked on things and their journeys, like really helped me start to see, okay, like when I go back to school, um, I think it was two weeks after I was done with sports business classroom, I went back to school oh, wow. and I went and I immediately was like, all right, I, I set up an, an appointment with my advisor. I'm like, okay, these are the things I want to do this year. How do I make it happen? Um, and just really trying to forge that. So like my, um, my senior year when I was at, at UT, I ended up doing like, um, I think I had two, two or three courses that were just like strictly me doing actual work, which I thought was really important for me because I think, you know, especially with how media is going, and this is something that I, I want to talk to about the people at SBC because like, I don't know how it was for you coming out of school. Obviously you got a massive head start compared to most people in covering stuff. Um, and I'm sure you could attest to like just getting that before. Like, I mean, I, I just picture people coming out who are my age that haven't done any work or anything. And especially too, like, even just covering professional sports in general is like, that's very, it's saying doggy dogs wrong way to put it. I think people are generally pretty good at, you know, helping each other out, but like there aren't a lot of jobs in it and you have to be really good at it and you have to, you know, work the, 
full-time is, is every single job for the most part. Like, even if it's a part-time job, it's full-time. Like you can't cover the league without keeping invested and knowing everything and, and staying on top of things. Um, so getting those inroads before I was done with school really helped me with, with getting to where I'm at now. So SPC was huge for me. I totally agree with you. I think uh, gaining that experience and actually going out and I always tell people like the worst people can say is no, like, you know, try to get credentials, try to go set up interviews. Like that experience is so valuable. And I think also the big thing I learned from kind of just covering the league and being around beat writers and talented people was you have to be versatile. Like you need to be mm-hmm. able to do everything. Like I think going into it, I just wanted to be a writer and I didn't think anything about podcasting. Obviously at the time, podcasting wasn't even a thing, but like, I was never like, Oh, I want to be on camera or be on the radio or any of that kind of stuff. And then over time it was like, Oh, if you want to have a full-time career in media, you really need to be versatile. And, you know, maybe you can focus on writing primarily, but you need to be able to edit and do stuff behind the scenes and be on camera and do all that kind of stuff. So I kind of realized that. And now every student I talk to, I always tell them just, you know, the more you can do, the better and the easier it is to get that full-time job where, you know, you can cover your costs and everything. And um, yeah, I think the versatility is very important. And then, yeah, just getting that experience is really valuable too. That's why like the, the, the sports business classroom, I'm a fan of that because not only are you making connections, but I know you went the virtual year, but it's usually out in Las Vegas uh, at summer league. So you're basically like part of summer league while you're there mm. too. So you're going to games, you're networking in person, you know, sometimes I know like they even do like scouting type things with the students where you're actually, or you're gaining actual media experience and doing actual interviews. So when you are covering your first event or things like that, you're not, you know, uh, basically being thrown to the wolves, you have experience in doing it and you're more comfortable because yeah, really, I think to your point, confidence is one of the biggest things like just yeah. being confident um thinking like Nikias and I talked about this like when you see all these journalists being laid off and everything you're like man what can I add to this conversation when these top journalists who've been doing it for many years are being laid off and stuff like that it can be hard and i think i mentioned this to Nikias too i think imposter syndrome is a really really common thing in our industry um i still deal with it and actually mm-hmm. i i don't think i've ever told you this but you, Nikias Jackson, early on at Basketball News, whenever we were like bringing you guys on and I was like editing your stuff and reading your stuff, I like really struggled. And I was like, man, these guys know the game so well. And you guys just view the game so differently than I do. Like you guys cover the X's and O's of it and break down the film so well. And I'm just always blown away by your guys' knowledge. Whereas I think I tend to be more transactional and um, like focused more on features and interviews and things like that. But I definitely dealt with imposter syndrome where like after that, when I'm writing articles and doing podcasts, I'm like, man, these guys just have such a, uh, you know, wealth of knowledge and break down the game so well that like, it kind of got in my head a little bit. And I was like, should I change up what I'm doing? Like, I think it's so common in our industry, especially when you are plugged in and reading tons of different articles and listening to podcasts. Like there's so much good stuff out there that it does make you second guess yourself a little bit. So I think just that confidence is like, one of the most important things to kind of not only have early on, but like maintain over time. And I think it's, it's tough to do at times. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, that's something that, I mean, I've talked to, I actually don't know who's talked about it before. I've talked about it to, to, with Nikias a lot because it's, uh, I think, um, I mean, it's something I'm trying to work on, but it's definitely easy to get in your head about stuff um, about, you know, whether or not am I doing a good job? Am I doing well enough with this or that? Um, and I, I think it is tough. And I think that's part of what made me want to branch out into doing more. And I think that's, uh, I'm not trying to say that 
I don't know. It's weird to talk about myself sometimes, but like, I think one of my strengths is that I like trying things. Um, or it's not even necessarily that I like to, I like forcing myself to try things because I want to get better at it. Like, um, I don't know. Like, I mean, we talked about this earlier in the year. I was like, Hey, I really want to start trying to do features because I'm really strong. At it. And like what I like doing a lot of in my comfort zone is you know, doing film breakdowns or um, talking about like transactions and stuff like that and explaining like why I do or don't like it and talking about team building. Like I'm good at that stuff and I like it. But, like I really want to do more and not the, um, you know, I, I think like we've talked about this before, like human aspect is I really cannot stand how, mainstream stuff can project human aspect. Like I think it can be very patronizing and ultimately do more harm than good in some ways. Um, like I, I would rather much rather get like real stories and, and actually, you know, build like a real relationship with somebody who I'm interviewing and getting to know them and like where they're coming from instead of just, you know, like pitching some hype story. Um, and, and not to say that those stories don't exist and aren't, aren't, are like bad, but I just think like there's, um, I think there's a lot more bad stuff that we need to point out and talk about. It's not even bad, but there's just more gray area in sports that I think needs to get talked about. Um, and I, I don't know. So I've been working on that. I've been working on trying to do more interviews and um, getting to do that. Cause that was something I didn't get to do as much uh, in school. Like that was one of the downsides, obviously with the pandemic, like community access just kind of went to shit. Like um, it definitely changed things up. Like I got to do some things around the basketball team in Toledo, but it's, you know, it's different. Like you, you just don't get the same kind of access. So. Um, yeah, I think I went off the rails there a little bit, but that's, yeah, that's, that's my answer there. No, but you've done a good job of, you know, experimenting with those things. Like your feature on the Martin twins was awesome. Like, I think, mm-hmm. um, I didn't even think about the aspect of it with the pandemic, how limited your access must've been. Yeah. That's crazy. Like we all, I you know, I know what it's like to be a journalist who's trying to adapt to the pandemic, but to come up during that time had to be pretty difficult. I didn't even think about that aspect of it. So, but yeah, I think, um, I think, again, it goes back to just being versatile too. like being able to do different kinds of articles even is is part of that. And um, I like that you're kind of trying those things out. Um, I'm curious, you love writing about young developing players, underappreciated teams. That's kind of like your lane. And and I think Mm -hmm. you do a great job of it. Uh, What draws you to those topics? And is it part of just, you know, you feel like those aren't covered enough. So you want to kind of fill that void or what is that that makes you want to write about those kind of things. Yeah. I think I'm still trying to figure that out. It's just what I'm normally drawn to, honestly. Like, um, I like, I, again, that's part of more like wanting to, I, I need to branch out more from doing that. Cause that's kind of what I fall back to a lot. But, um, like I really enjoy scouting, um, and do like, I, I mean, before I ended up taking, you know, coming over to basketball news and doing some work here, I turned down scouting jobs. Like I thought about going and doing that, but I, you know, I really didn't want to be out of um, doing stuff in the public space. Um, and it's something I've still thought about. I don't I don't know where I'm at with it. I, I really like doing media and getting to explain things. And I think that's part of why I tend to talk more about young prospects and teams, because I think, A, those are the, the groups that don't really get covered that much, if we're being honest. Like, um, I think Cade got a lot more as the season went on because he was awesome as the year went on. But Detroit was bad this year. Like, frankly, they were bad. But I also think part of what's frustrating is if we don't actually cover and talk about the teams that are young and trying to improve, um, then we're not going to have full context of what they are in two or three years when they're a playoff team. Um, And I think it's important to have that, especially too. like I just like looking at and tracking development because like, I don't know, we talk a lot about um, 
about like feel in basketball. So it's like how a guy sees the floor, how they react, uh, how they process things. I was a low fuel athlete. Like I was a good boxer, but I was more just like, I was really strong. I was kind of a weight bully because I weigh like 180 now. And I used to fight at 147, which is like, it's not fun, but uh, that's a whole other story. But like, um, I, I don't know, like part of why I really try hard to understand things is I didn't understand things. Well, I would, I didn't take well to coaching. I was more just, uh, um, I was kind of a hard headed athlete. And, uh, I think I, I really, um, you know, going back, it's one of the things where I, I wish I could have been a lot better at, at things and how I approached, um, my career. I mean, it helps now, of course, like, you know, it's not the kind of thing that I changed. Like I'm, I'm fortunate to be where I'm at, but I think it really makes me appreciate and understand how um, difficult it is to be, uh, I mean, to to see how we evaluate um, younger athletes, just because I think I struggled. I wasn't, I wasn't, I like, I mean, like I have potential for sure, but, and I'm not trying to compare myself to an NBA player, but like, um, I mean, like. That that perspective is unique. That makes sense. Yeah. I just like, I see where I failed and I think, um, I think it's tough in some of those ways, but also I think I just wish that we had more nuance and context for how we talk about it. So I think that's why I really like doing it because it's important to know, like, yeah, they're still not playing great right now, but the stuff that they're doing this month compared to last month is like groundbreaking shit, like um, compared to where they were at. And I think that's, that's just stuff that I really enjoy. So I think that's uh, mostly why I've been drawn to to doing more scouting. And especially I've, I've done, I went from being somebody who was like, I'm never going to talk about the draft ever to it's, I mean, I spend like, multiple hours a day, just watching draft prospects and, and talking about them because I like doing it. And uh, yeah, so that's how, I guess that's how I got to there. The NBA draft is rapidly approaching and you've got the chance to experience it like never before with NBA experiences. Get access to premium in-arena hospitality at the Barclays Center, get a draft stage photo op and meet AJ Griffin, Keegan Murray, Dominique Wilkins and Ron Harper with an official NBA experiences ticket package. Go to nbaexperiences.com slash bballnews for more information and get 5% off your draft package by using the code basketballnews at online checkout. That's the code basketballnews at online checkout for 5% off. So I'm curious, you mentioned turning down a scouting job or scouting jobs. I think uh, what are your, it's, I think like uh, Nikias mentioned this too when he was in the podcast that he had a team reach out to him about a possible opportunity. And I'm curious, what is like your long-term goal? Like, do you eventually want to work in a front office someday? Do you want to just kind of keep climbing the ranks in media or are you kind of not sure at this point? I, you know, I, that's a, that's a great question. And it's something that I, I get asked a lot and I ask myself a lot too. And I don't really have an answer right now. Um, like I would like to say that I'm going to work in media full time for the rest of my career. I don't know. I just like basketball, honestly. Uh, and I think my, I mean, my biggest, uh, my biggest thing right now is I just, whatever it is, I would like to have a full-time job for next season because, um, that makes it, uh, it just makes it a little bit easier in trying to, you know, actually do basketball stuff. Um, I think I, I've, I've warmed up more to the idea of working for a team, to be honest. I still don't think that it's necessarily for me just because I, uh, I know a decent amount of people who work for teams. I've heard a lot about working for teams and I'm not sure that, uh, I mean, I would take the right environment. Cause I think uh, if I was really comfortable with the people that I, I know in the front office, I think that'd be one thing, but I've just heard some stories, man. And I don't know if I, cause I'm very, uh, I'm very, uh, 
stubborn about things sometimes. Like I'm willing to work with people and I like hearing people out, but I think when I have to deal with people who aren't going to listen, that's problematic for me. So uh, I don't know. It's something I, I, it would have to be, if the opportunity was right, I would, I would definitely contemplate it. If they don't want to hear you out, that's where the boxing background comes in. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then that's where I get in trouble. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, um, I think you'd be a great scout. Uh, I was just curious because I mean, it's always good to have a ton of options too, like, you know, mm -hmm. different paths that you could go down. Um, but yeah, I, I was just curious about kind of what you want to do long-term uh, because I think with your skill set and the way you kind of see the game, it does make sense. But yeah, that lifestyle is tough too. Not even just the people you're working around. And yeah. I've heard story, you know, horror stories about our, our bad owners and bad front offices and stuff, but it's also just a tough lifestyle. Like the traveling and, and the sacrifices you have to make, that can be pretty brutal too. Um, so yeah, I was curious about that. Uh, since you are so good at kind of evaluating young players, I'm curious, who are some young players around the NBA that you're higher on than the general consensus? Guys that stand out to you either because of their development or their long-term potential? Like who are some guys that you would say you're higher on than most? Oh, that's a good question, man. Um, I think this is what makes it tough because I think I've grown a lot more in this in the last year and trying, like, I don't, I again, I still, I don't consider myself an expert. Like I just watched a lot of basketball. Like I really like somebody who I wouldn't be surprised if they like break out and do a lot more for the team next year, especially given like um, that, uh, you know, it seems like D'Angelo Russell might be on the move this, this summer um, based on all reporting that's come out. I really think Jalen Noel could be a guy who takes the next step. Minnesota next year. I loved what he showed. Uh, I want to say it was while D'Lo was out um, earlier this year. It was either D'Lo or Ant was out. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he was awesome. Like he played really well for them. His numbers don't like fully indicate it, but he just does a lot of stuff um, blending things together offensively. He's a good pull-up shooter. He can get into the paint, has a really good craft finishing and pretty good playmaking. Like he just brings a blend of three things together that they the Wolves don't have in a, a, in a package uh, in one player. Um, his defense improved a little bit during the year, but it was still pretty rough. So I think that's going to be a big determinant because especially like Chris Finch um, really prefers the guys to be good defenders, but he's somebody to like, I mean, I just really see it with him. Like, I think if, if he just makes a couple of tweaks and things happen right for him on the roster, I, I, don't, I think he could be a starter in the league. Um, man, who else? I'm trying to think. Um, I really, ah, there's so many guys who are good. <laughs> like or or have potential like i as as you i'm sure you've noted from anybody like i i use good a lot i just it's hard for like i don't know i'm that's another thing i need to work i need to work it a little bit more on being critical like i do think i'm willing to be critical of guys but um it's just hard like when you especially watching like all of these teams in d12 comparing it to the nba like very different it's hard for me to call people bad uh when they're in the nba like there's there's got to be more nuance and context for for sure but um, man, I mean, like Herb Jones, obviously, like that's, that goes without saying, um, I, I like, I, uh, saying that I'm hiring him the most sounds odd, but like, I legitimately think he has all-star potential. Like, I think that's possible. I wrote about that over basketball news. People should check that out. Like his trajectory, even though like he's, he's an interesting case. Cause I think there's always a, and something I wrote a little bit about today, like age in the draft is such a weird thing to me, the way that we talk about it. Um, because like looking at somebody like Herb, I think he's somebody I'd look back on now who I should have had a higher draft rate on in, in 2021. And it's like, no shit. Like, yeah, he just was awesome and 
should have been first team all rookie. Um, don't ask me about that one. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I view him as somebody who like, if you just look at his trajectory and the way that he's improved his game every single year, um, like that's the kind of thing that you have to take note of. And it's something that I think I understand now that I've been doing it for another year. Um, so I, I view him as somebody like if a couple of things go right, which I granted, it does take a little bit to get there. I don't know how much faith I have in his intermediate game growing, but I also, I didn't see him being like this in the NBA and he's already surpassed any expectations I had. So I think that's uh, definitely reasonable. The last guy I'd mentioned, there are a million, but uh, KJ Martin in, uh, in Houston, I think it's gonna be really good. I like him a lot. Uh, I still think that he got underplayed a little bit. Um, and I'm really interested to see how things go for him this, this coming season. Um, cause he's just like, he kind of does everything, which like, I mean, there are guys who do everything, but it's not necessarily like they, they do a lot of things decently, but not quite well enough to warrant court time. I think to me, KJ is like one of that upper 10% guys who is like very good at a lot of things, obviously has some warts. Like he's not a great on ball defender. Um, but he showed more as a ball handler. He's a good passer. I think the shot on volume is fine and obviously needs work still, but um, somebody I'd love to see play more. Like, I think that he's going to be like a, you know, a four or five contract guy in the NBA, like, or more than that. Like, I mean, like he's, he's going to play like a decade in the league. And I think he'll be a starter at some point just because he fits a lot of what I think is really interesting and where the league's headed with, you know, ground coverage and um, just having a lot of smart players who can handle the ball and, and keep the ball moving and uh and score too like because even though he's only he's only like six six he's an awesome role man like one of the best dunkers in the nba already um so he's somebody i'd have a lot of stocking for sure yeah you wrote a great article about him too at basketballnews.com a while back it's so if crazy. you're a young player and you've done anything interesting in the league i probably have an article <laughs> on you at basketballnews.com yeah <laughs> i love it uh it's so crazy to see where he's at now i went to his pro day when he was in high school at Impact Basketball in Las Vegas. And actually, it's it was kind of accidental. Like, I was there covering some of the veterans that were there. Like, I remember I went and I interviewed, like, Lance Stevenson, Mo Spates, mm -hmm. and some of those dudes that were working out. And then he just happened to have his pro day. Like, I remember all of a sudden, Kenya Martin, Tayshaun Prince, Frank Vogel, Rob Palenka, like, all start coming to the gym, and they were there for his pro day. And yeah. he struggled so much. Like, he literally may have missed almost all of his jumpers. He was a freak athlete. I mean, crazy dunks. And you're like, wow, this kid has all the athleticism in the world, you know, struggle putting the ball on the floor. And it was like, oh, this guy's gonna have a rough time. And it did not go. It was not a great workout for him. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, he improved so much since then. And I think that also was just a bad day for him. I think he had better workouts. Um, but then to see him get drafted, we had Kenya Martin on our staff, too. So we were hearing about his development uh, behind the scenes and everything. And then on draft night, Kenyon wrote an article about his son and kind of uh, how, how happy he was for him and excited for him. Um, so just watching him, you know, from back then to where he is now, it's kind of like you're saying, you know, people don't necessarily talk about these young underappreciated players, especially if they're on a bad team that people just aren't watching very much, but it's so fun. I mean, you, you realize that, you know, he's worked so hard behind the scenes to kind of make his dream come true. And now he looks like such a better player. So it is fun to kind of watch that development and just see how much these guys get better. Um, I'm curious, we did an article at basketball news about which team has the best young core going forward. It was a round table article. We asked all of our different staff members to kind of weigh in. Uh, I think I said Atlanta, this was, you know, months ago, but, mm -hmm. uh, there was a number of teams mentioned Atlanta, OKC, New Orleans, Memphis, Phoenix, a lot of different opinions in that article. 
who would you say has the best young core going forward? Ooh, I mean, I that's tough, man. I think it's probably Memphis right now, just because of top end talent. Um, I do think like New Orleans is close for me. Like I really like what their young guys are like a lot. Obviously hinges on Zion. Um, but I would probably put I would probably put Memphis right there. Like Ja, what he's in. I still thought like the MVP talk was a little bit rich for me, even if I understood where people were coming from. Like he's on the second best team in the league. Like I get it, but I don't think he was quite there impact wise. But even then, like he was deserving of most improved if he'd won it this year. I mean, he did win it this year. I remember Um, like Jaron Jackson. I think again, a lot depends on him becoming a more consistent player, but even then he got better this year, quite a bit defensively. Um, like, I think a lot's going to depend on like how some of their other ancillary guys play out. Like I, I believe a lot in Zaire Williams becoming a really good player. I love the way that they handled him this year. Um, and just giving him consistent minutes, even if, you know, at times I think, uh, people questioned it. Um, like Des Bain continues to be really good. Obviously he's a different kind of young player. Cause he's like, I, I think people look at it differently. Like I still like this was a second year in the league and it was awesome. And there's, there's a lot more there with him. Um, what happens with the Anthony Melton? Like there's, there's a lot that I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. Like they have another draft pick this year. What happens there? Um, I still think like, I'm not probably not quite as bullish on the rest of their rotation compared to where I'm at with, you know, uh, Jaron and, and, and Desmond Bain and, and, and Ja, but, um, like that's, that's a pretty damn good foundation that just made it to the second round of the playoffs and could have gone farther, uh, if things had, had hit differently. So, um, I like them a lot. I'm trying to, like, if I had to pick one from the East, I think that would be tougher. I think I would, ah. see, the Cavs are interesting because I think the Cavs are going to have a really interesting time threading the needle. Um, like, they're a team that I really want to see how things shape up with this draft. Like, this draft is huge for them, like, really hitting on this pick because they, uh, they need another shot creator. They just need another player on the wing or even just a forward, anybody who's, you know, not a guard and not a, not a big that, that can uh, change up some of the lineups for them. Like I have a lot more faith in Isaac Okoro moving forward than people do. Like this was just a second year in the league. I think people need to relax a little bit, but Darius is awesome. Evan Mobley is already a top 50 player in the NBA. In my opinion, Jared Allen is right about there as well. Um, I really like what they have, but again, I think like in some ways, obviously it's not better. They're like, if you have the chance to be a four seed, and you have home court advantage, like, I don't think you can shy away from that, especially considering how rough this team's been since LeBron left. But I do think in some ways it's almost good for them that they did miss the playoffs and got another chance um, at the lottery, just because I do think that they're kind of missing like that one more guy. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with Colin Sexton too. Like that's another guy who I'm, I'm probably higher on than consensus. Well, consensus among media, I think would be the way to put it because consensus among fans, probably, probably not as much, but yeah, um, they're, they're, they're really fun. They're going to be interesting to see what, what happens there. Yeah. I think, uh, at the time, I think it was October. We did this. I had said Atlanta, but yeah. in, in new Orleans, I kind of mentioned one in the East, one in the West, but yeah, mm-hmm. Memphis, uh, I would absolutely put them, put them there. Now. I think they're probably my, my pick as well. Um, I'm curious, uh, each team obviously is different in terms of development and how they work with players. Um, like when I think of Miami, they do such a great job of utilizing the G League and finding those diamonds in the rough, these, you know, undrafted guys that they can put in their system and and they kind of know what uh, a player looks like that will fit in their culture. They kind of have a great 
uh, they're, they're great at finding those guys that fit the heat culture and, and getting the most out of them. I think Memphis, like every year, it seems like they hit in the draft and they always pick like the, the favorite player of NBA draft Twitter. It feels yeah, like, yeah. Uh, and then they do a great job of developing those players too and getting the most out of them. Even someone like Desmond Bain, who when he was coming out, kind of the knock on him was, Oh, he's older. So you know what you're going to get. He has a high floor, but how much potential does he really have now? Now look at him. I mean, it's amazing to see how far he's come and, and just what he could become as a player. Um, I think like OKC does a great job of kind of giving each player like a custom development plan. And, and they've done that for years now. Like Sam Presti and his staff there do a great job of working with each player, you know, working on them with nutrition and their sleep and, and off court things too, that we don't typically think of. When we think about development. They have like a custom plan for everyone and it's all very, organized uh which teams impress you the most when you think of who does the best job of developing prospects you know obviously talent evaluation is part of it but then also getting the most out of those prospects who kind of stands out to you uh among teams yeah uh that's a good question i think what's interesting here is like part of it and part of why i think i got into the draft and it's not because i think i know more than people but i just think like perspective and nuance is really important. Like nuance can be annoying, like boo for nuance as, uh, as Steve <laughs> and Kaius always say, but um, like, it's important to, as, as Drake once said, know yourself, know your worth. Like um, I think that plays in a lot with what the Toronto Raptors do. Like the Toronto Raptors know what they're good at. They know what they want and they find guys who fit that. And I think in some ways I dislike how it gets talked about because people are like, Oh, they find these diamonds in the rough. I'm like, no, they're just good at knowing what they can and can't do. And I think that's so important. Like if I'm a team who has no confidence in developing somebody's jump shot, or I should say has no track record in developing somebody's jump shot. And I take, let's say Jeremy Sohan in this year's draft, who I think is a really good prospect, but I have a lot of hangups about him just because there's a lot of questions about what happens if his shot doesn't come along. And I'm not somebody who's very faithful in that happening. Um, if I am a team who doesn't have who doesn't have a track record of building a jump shot, okay. If we take Jeremy Sohan, we're shooting ourselves and him in the foot. Like we're automatically like, okay, as long as he's on this team, he's going to be hindered because we're not really helping him develop that. And like obviously, like it's not that concrete and simple for sure. But um, like you have to a have a spot for somebody to actually be able to come in and contribute because finding court time is essential. Like. Obviously, G League play, I think, has changed up stuff, and that's important. But also, like, getting NBA minutes is much more important than getting to the G League. Like, getting getting onto the NBA court at least some point in your rookie year is, is really important for development, in my opinion. Um, and I think you have to be a team, like, knowing how you're going to develop guys and having a concrete plan and path to make that happen is really important. Because um, I think we've just seen, like, not to shit on the Indiana Pacers, but like, I do think we've seen issues with them with that. Like part of that is given the kind of team they're at, they're always somewhat in between of like, are we going to be going all out to be like, are we rebuilding to become a conference title team or, you know, not that conference title, or like just be, be rebuilding to be a team that is an actual contender, or are we trying to thread the needle between, you know, like picking up guys on the cheap on in, uh, in free agency or picking up guys like who maybe you're undervalued by, by everyone else. Like that's a nice format, but like, what is that building towards? And when you keep doing that over and over again, and you're part of it too, like, I, I don't think that they drafted great, but like, I didn't love how they handled Aaron holidays development. Like I thought that a part of it was, was Nate McMillan was like, and I can't blame him. Like when you're a team that is trying to win games right now, Aaron holiday wasn't helping you as rookie year, but also imagine if you're a team that's not trying to win games now, 
And you're trying to instead build up Aaron Holiday to be a borderline lottery pick. Like it just, that stuff's important. Like I think a lot of that, it's, it's like, it's a, like a feedback loop. Like if you, you kind of get out what you put in, in some ways, obviously, again, you have to have the right guys, but um, I think that's kind of how I look at it. Makes ton of sense. I'm glad you mentioned Toronto too, because they do a great job of that. Um, not only, like you said, evaluating the talent, but then working with them and bringing the right guys that they know are going to be a good fit. Um, so you mentioned you've been watching a lot of uh, footage of you know this year's draft prospects. Who are some of your favorite guys in this year's draft? Oh man, yeah, I'm. It's funny because a lot of people are talking down this year's draft, and I get it to a degree because this draft is like, um, I don't want to say it's not exciting, but it's definitely. Um, compared to last year's draft with as much top end talent as there was, it's a, uh, it's definitely um, a little bit underwhelming in some facets, especially, you know, again, just top end talent. Uh, I do think that undersells this class a little bit though. Like um, I'm really excited for this group. Like I think like Paolo Bancaro is somebody who I cannot wait to watch play pro basketball. I think he's going to be a, a, just a great pro right off the bat. Like I think he, he, he would be my pick for rookie of the year right now. Um, I mean, I'm excited to see Chet, mainly because I'm tired of hearing people talk about Chet who haven't watched him play before um, or just have very unfair notions about him based on how he looks. Um, but I think my favorite guy to watch in the class, ooh, I think I love, and I'm, I'm biased, but I love watching Malachi Branham out of Ohio State because he grew up playing basketball about a half hour from me at St. Vincent St. Mary's where LeBron played. Um, and he's been like through a pretty wild growth trajectory. Like he went from being somebody who never shot threes at SVSM to like this year, he barely took threes as the year started. He was honestly a pretty rough watch to, to start the year. And then uh, they had, I want to say that Ohio State had a COVID break where they just had like a pretty big team breakout and they took off um, most of December and they came back um, in January and he just was like a different player. Like he went and he started shooting more threes. Like, again, it's still rudimentary stuff, but like, I mean, to see where he was at to where he's at now, he's somebody I'm very excited for in the NBA that I'm probably a little bit higher on than most. Like, I love Jalen Duran, uh, somebody who I just wrote about today. Like, he is going to be very good. He's not just like your typical rolling cut big. I think there's a lot more to him than he tends to get credit for, which is why I wanted to write about him. Um, I'll have to send you the clip. I took, a, I took back-to-back screenshots of it. So it's before he jumps and after he jumps. In the game against Virginia Tech earlier this year, I was rewatching it uh, for before before I wrote this, and I'd forgotten that that this happened. But like, he comes from weak side and blocks a floater that gets released before he jumps. Like, it's just insane. Like, you can see it's like already halfway to the rim, a little bit less than halfway because it, it wasn't like it's like it was clearly not a uh, um, not a goal ten. But like, he goes from like being still on two feet to like up in the air, high pointing it. Um, in like half a second. It's like stuff like that. Like what he can do in ground coverage is just insane. Like watching that stuff makes me so excited for what he can do next year. So those are the two guys I'm like really excited about. And also more bias, uh, Ryan Rollins out of University of Toledo is going to be really good. I like him a lot. Um, so I, I got to watch him in person a little bit and um, he's somebody I, I'm definitely very excited about too. For sure. Everyone, make sure you check out Basketball News' draft coverage too. Uh, we have... Uh, a great mock draft right now. Matt Babcock and his staff do a fantastic job. He's always 
traveling across the country, scouting prospects. He's in the gym with all these different guys. Uh, he does great scouting reports. So if you go to our mock draft, click on players' names, you can also uh, see their scouting report. We have highlights in there. It's fantastic. So definitely check that out. Uh, last thing for you, Mark, I'm curious. Uh, obviously, NBA Finals are tied at 2-2. Um, I'm hoping this comes out in time before uh, for next game. But thoughts on kind of what you've seen so far in the series? And I, I've talked about it on the podcast. My pick going in, so the postseason was Warriors over Celtics in seven. I'm sticking with it. Um, thoughts on kind of what we've seen so far? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting. I think this uh, this entire playoffs in general, I think, has been very interesting in trying to see how people talk about the game. Like, I try and be less reactive with stuff. I'm not trying to say that I'm like the, you know, how people need to be. I just like, I don't know. I don't like throwing out definitive takes. Um it's been really odd watching the series back and forth. Like I think it's been cool seeing the way that things change each game. Like one of my favorite things to watch throughout the playoffs has been um, the way that stretch fives kind of change everything because like Al Horford has obviously struggled from three in this series, but he shot like 45% from deep most of the playoffs. And what's interesting, like you watch him, you think about other games where like, um, Oh gosh, I'm trying to contemplate right now who it was. Um, like, all right, so like if Jaron Jackson's shot wasn't falling or um, anybody who's like playing as a stretch five, that's the guy, like, especially like we're seeing most in the playoffs, every team is trying to cheat off of a stretch five to load up in the paint or to make things harder and to live with those shots. And it's not like I think things get made out way too much of shot quality, but like, I just think when you look at it, like, I mean, Al was, has been launching on volume after not, after really struggling with that this year, I think he shot like around 32 or 33% on the year from three. Um, but you just, you have a player who is shooting so well from three at the five spot that you can't cheat defensively. And it's not even cheating necessarily, but like you can't play defense the way you want to. And it really changes things. I've loved watching that because like seeing the way that teams adapt to each other and how they're playing in game is what's been really fun about the playoffs. Um, and I'm just really excited to see what happens in game five because we had some interesting stuff in game four. Uh, I will say post-game comments have not, have been like my least favorite part about the conference finals and finals. Like that has been abysmal since the, since the Memphis Grizzly, Memphis Warrior series. Um, but I mean, it makes it, me more excited to see what happens tonight for sure. For sure. Well, I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks for your time. Uh, everyone, make sure you guys follow Mark on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. Check out his great articles at basketballnews.com, Indie Cornrows. Uh, also, check out his podcasts, uh, Tag the Roll, does a great job. Uh, and he covers the WNBA for WNBA.com. Uh, you're killing it, man. I appreciate you appreciate doing this. You. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Alex. This was really fun, man. For sure. Everyone, too, if you want to check us out uh, and listen to our I, I we're, like I mentioned before, Nikias, myself, and Mark are speaking at the Sports Business Classroom uh, next month. So if you guys want to check that out, if you want to attend the Sports Business Classroom, uh, they gave our listeners a $300 off promotion. So use the code front office. That's one word, front office, uh, for $300 off. Go to sportsbusinessclassroom.com to sign up. That's the code front office, one word. Uh, yeah, appreciate you doing this. And if you guys want to hear more episodes of this podcast, Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. And until next time, thanks for listening.